Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 77th episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend Adam Goffin, back from the other side of the channel. Adam, how was Wales? Uh, footy, Zach. It was great footy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to shoehorn that one. <laughs> No, it was lovely to be home. Great to see my family. Um, went to see a Camarden game, which was pretty exciting. Got to see them play they at win? home in the Cup. It was actually, so they, they're now no longer in the League of Wales. They're in the JD Cymru South, which is basically the feeder Ooh. league for the League of Wales. So yeah. pretty, pretty sad, dire straits. Actually, how they ended up getting there was because COVID. They were on a really big uptick in form. They were down in the bottom two and starting to play really, really well. Uh, and unfortunately, the season ended because of COVID and they kind of like cut off the league table as it was. They never got to finish that season. So a bit of a sour taste in my mouth about how that all ended up. So this season, they're kind of mid-table in that in that league, not looking likely that they'll get promoted. Anyway, I digress. The match was a cup match and it was at home against TNS, Total Network Solutions, who you might have heard of because they've played quite a few um, European qualifier games in the past as well, trying to get into Champions League. They've made it into the Europa League before as a representative from Wales. But they're probably the most successful team in Welsh football outside of the English leagues. Um, so pretty pretty good team. Anyway, we basically shut up shop, took it to nil-nil, um, basically defended for our lives, had a couple chances on the counter-attack, went to penalty kicks, we lost 5-4 on penalty kicks at Richmond Park in Camarthen. It was a great That's... game. I was there with my dad, with my brother-in-law. Um, got to see my, my buddy Pricey as well. I was at the game. So uh, it was good times, man. And we, we we did ourselves proud. You basically think think about it. It's like Manchester City going up against Nottingham Forest. It's that sort of kind of like money slash yeah. golfing class and, um, you know, di divisional rivalries, you know, from championship to to Premier League, it was definitely a golfing class that we were able to kind of like stifle them. was was really creditable creditable to our team, and uh, unfortunately, the penalties didn't shake out as they as they might have done. Yeah, that's that's heartbreaking to hear. And you know, for for any casual football uh, football fan, when you hear the the letters TNS, you immediately think you know oozing oozing with cash. So it's good that they. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I emphasize any football fan would think that immediately. So it's it's yeah. good that uh, it's good that Kamarthen was able to you know stick it to them and and kind of give the people what they wanted. Yeah, they're they're given a lot of crap actually because they're in a like a it's a Welsh town, but it's just over the border in England. So anytime they represent Wales, how, um, how's that possible? How, it's how can kind you of be like... a Welsh town over the border. Because the border changed some time ago, and the border shifted in terms of where it, where it was located. So initially, it was a Welsh town, and they represent and are in the Welsh league. But now, on a technicality, they're in they're in England. So okay. um, a lot of the kind of traditional Welsh uh, <laughs> Welsh pr pr proud supporters always say when people say TNS or Welsh team doing well in Europe, they're like they're not a Welsh team; they're an English team. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep the, i'll keep that of note like to distance themselves from that team but yeah this is this is way more about welsh football than i ever thought i'd be talking on this podcast thing. 
yeah, we have gone far too long into this discussion for a, <laughs> uh, a, a Premier League podcast, a league that currently involves zero Welsh teams. Um, Sadly, only, only English teams. Yeah, that is true. Um, if only Freddie Woodman Swansea got promoted, and we could have sold him for a, a handy little dollar uh, last season. Mm-hmm. Regardless, we we are talking Premier League. We're we're back after uh, a couple of international breaks and an international break. I, I guess I could say for both the Premier League clubs and for Adam himself. Ten matches into the Premier League season, a nice round number. Uh, we are uh, just over a third, or I, I suppose just over a fourth of the way to the finale of the season. And you'd have to say that the the table is kind of lining up fairly fairly accurate for what we have predicted preseason. Um, so we'll, we'll go through the current standing in the table before diving into kind of the more topical current events uh, with a focus on managers this podcast episode. There's been a lot of movement and I, I guess you could say lack there of movement with certain clubs and managers that have been on the hot seats in the past couple of weeks. So we're really going to go thematically into that today. But uh, before we do, and before we get into Adam's EPL trivia for the episode, just to give you a brief recap of the important parts of the Premier League table. Uh, the top four is Filled by Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, and West Ham. West Ham, the the Cinderella team of the season. Uh, With Manchester United currently sitting in fifth place, the Europa League spot. And then skipping all the way down to the bottom of the table, Burnley in 18th, Newcastle in 19th, and Norwich City in 20th. Again, a reminder that Newcastle and Norwich are the only two teams in the Premier League that have yet to record a victory and the only two teams with a goal differential worse than minus 10, 10 games into the season. So quick math for you there. Newcastle and Norwich have given up more than one goal per game that they've scored. So I know a little wordy again, Newcastle and Norwich averaging one less goal given or one more goal allowed than goals scored in every single match of the season really want to hammer in how bad Newcastle and Norwich are before we start this podcast. But uh, no more doom and gloom there, Adam. Let's get into the EPL trivia for the episode. I'm excited to hear this one. It's been uh, about a month since we recorded our last episode. What do you have for me today? All right. So it's it's a pretty simple one, Zach, and it's one that I think our listeners should be able to figure out too. Who is the only team in the English leagues whose name starts with five consecutive consonants. Oh, wow. Oh, well, that's fun. <laughs> oh, man, that's only cool. One, <laughs> only, only one team in all four divisions that that is true of. Correct. correct. Five consecutive consonants. Mm-hmm. So no, 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 no verbal guesses yet, but have a think about it, Zach. Oh, all right. Wow, I like that. I like that a lot. That's like right, <laughs> right up my my alley of trivia <laughs> questions. Cool. All That's right. Well, we 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 yeah, it is a good one. Uh, how did you think of that question? I uh, I have basically a couple sites that I go to for for questions. I'm trying not to uh, repeat. Uh, Thought this was good. Occasionally, occasionally I'll like come that. up with just ones just based on stuff I'm hearing um, as I'm watching games and stuff like that. But a lot of times I do use some some little cheat sheets and stuff to keep keep you entertained. Okay. 
Fair enough. Fair enough. We all use cheat sheets. Well, I'm excited to hear the clue halfway through and hopefully can can kind of guess it before we get to the end of the pod. Uh, but yeah, let's let's dive right in, Adam. As uh, I mentioned just a few moments ago, we're we're going to really focus on the managerial shakeups in the Premier League so far this season. And let's let's start with our beloved Newcastle United. So a lot of news. Um, whether substantiated or not, coming out of Newcastle in the last few weeks regarding the managerial hunt following the dismissal of Steve Bruce uh, just a couple weeks ago. Uh, And we are no closer right now than we were after the firing of Steve Bruce to finding out who our next manager might be. Yep, I think that's absolutely correct. I think that the owners looked at the reaction they were getting from the players around Steve Bruce and from the fans in the stadium, right? And I think, you know, we went from a situation where there were protests against Ashley and protests against Bruce to Ashley selling up new owners coming in. And now the all the animosity of the fans was really aimed towards Steve Bruce. So they did the right thing. They let him have a game in charge to get his 1,000th career game as a manager. Um, And then they realized based on the reception that he got that it was time to pull the cord. Now, I think they did so without having necessarily a candidate lined up. And they, that's why they then substantially went and said to Graham Jones, Hey, you're in charge for the next two games here. Thinking that perhaps a lot of the fans had said they would be happy with Graham Jones as an interim appointment. Maybe he would give them the kind of bump they needed to pull up the table. Now, it's become fairly evident, I think, in the last few games that that's not the case, that Graham Jones really has been as much of an impact in Bruce's selections as I think Bruce was himself. And I think that what we're seeing from Newcastle right now is a team devoid of confidence, an aging team, not really full of stars, and what they desperately need. And credit to Graham Jones, he said this after the last performance, is we desperately need a fresh face in the dugout. So I think contrasting to Spurs, who we'll get to here later in the podcast, who made a swift move with somebody already potentially lined up and they got that done in, in quick fashion. Newcastle here made the decision to get rid of Bruce because it was the popular decision, but didn't have their ducks in a row with respect to a next appointment. Um, I think is probably my take on it um, as I look at the situation from the outside. Yeah, I think that's, that's probably the most realistic thing that has played out is so much focus was spent on the the takeover and getting that finalized that there weren't necessarily those kind of next steps, you know, the, the, the fallout from the takeover being planned. And I think that this is what concerns me right now. And I, I, you know, we're not trying to jump to any sort of overreactions, but we have now a few times or, once or twice in this new ownership already seen decisions made that don't seem to have kind of a, a secondary level of planning or sound thinking behind. It's it's firing Bruce without having somebody lined up behind him. And then it's also more recently, just in the past day, what's gone on with Unai Emery, who quickly became uh, pretty much out of nowhere the front runner for the Newcastle job. Uh, you had newspapers such as The Athletic and The the Chronicle uh, reporting that it was all but done and dusted for Emery to manage one final Champions League fixture for Villarreal, 
his current club and then flying his way to Newcastle. And in the span of about 12 hours, it went from, you know, not if but when to Unai Emery coming out publicly and saying that he is not taking the Newcastle job. And a lot of what has been reported is that there was a lot of ire and anger from both Emery and from Villarreal uh, on how this entire you know, rumor mill was reported, how people were saying that he is willing to leave Villarreal mid-season, that there were distractions being put in the media hours before a, an important Champions League fixture for Unai Emery's current club. And I think that, you know, Adam, that that concerns me a little bit because I it makes me feel like there's not a lot of thinking and kind of strategic planning that is going into these decisions. And I, you know, I as you know, and as our listeners probably know, I'm somebody who kind of likes to jump to, you know, the most dramatic conclusions fairly early on in any sort of discussion points. But it makes me wonder, you know, does does the new Newcastle ownership led by Amanda Stavely slightly overestimate how attractive Newcastle is to both players and managers? Because that's what this felt like to me is, is Stavely saying, okay, we're talking to Unai Emery, potentially leaking it to the press, whether it's her or somebody on her team. And then assuming, you know, who would not want to come to what is technically now the richest club in the world? Unai Emery, a man with immense respect for the Villarreal and his own profession, said, I'm not getting involved in in this type of fiasco. I'm not going to make an unprofessional move of leaving my team midweek, especially if it's being reported on in this manner. I don't know. There, there was something that just kind of felt very, very off on the way that this went from being almost definite to dead in just a matter of hours. Yeah, I, I, I think... I think you're right. I was I look back on kind of everything that's transpired, right? Stavely has a good relationship with Benitez. That was apparent from the get-go, right? That's a level of manager who has won Champions League trophies, and she has had that friendship with him for a while. Now, he's just started a project at Everton. It's unlikely that he will come back to Newcastle at this point, and I think fans would be torn on whether they would want him to do so. But given that she has that relationship, I think her expectations are pretty high in terms of the level of manager that you would have coming in. And friend of the pod, Dave, and I were chatting the other day, and he reminded me who came in to Manchester City right after they got purchased and the millions and millions and millions of pounds were being pumped into the club there. And that answer was Mark Hughes. That wasn't an inspired managerial signing. That wasn't somebody who was like very highly regarded across the global football. It was a solid manager who'd managed in the Premier League before, um, who had a decent reputation. Not, not, not somebody who like would blow you away. But to remind you, it took several years for City to gradually build up that squad to the point where they were lucrative enough that they could start to attract bigger managers like Pellegrini, like, um, like Pep Guardiola now. Like It took a while for them to get to that point. And I think you're absolutely right in that this is a poor squad with a couple of notable exceptions. So what you're really trying to sell as an owner is the project and the upside. You know as a as a manager coming in that you're immediately going to be under the spotlight. There's going to be so much pressure. You're deep in the mire of a relegation battle. And that's a hard thing for a really successful manager. I saw these links to like Ten Hag at Ajax. Why the fuck would he want to come to Newcastle? Right, he's got Ajax in the Champions League, winning four games out of four so far, beating Dortmund home and away. And you want him to come for a relegation battle in the Premier League? 
who cares whether they're the most um, the richest club in the world like that there's no way in a million years that you're going to bring in the time that we become lucrative as a club where we will be attracting the biggest names in world football from a manager and from a player standpoint is not today it's three to five years from now and i think her expectations need to be a little bit more realistic to your point absolutely i mean it you know it was indicative when she came out and made this statement upon the the purchasing being finalized saying we are looking to you know compete in the league and in europe within five years like that is a ridiculous thing to say about a club that has been relegated twice in the last 13 seasons and is currently deep 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 in as you said the mire of a relegation battle and i think it's it's kind of coming to light fairly quickly and what I would say I hope and most other Newcastle fans hope is that this is somewhat of a splash of cold water to the face for Amanda Stavely and, you know, the PIF uh, squad, if you will, is that we are not, we might not be as active a club right now as they want us to somewhat appear publicly. And you're right, you have these managers that, uh, as you said, the manager of Ajax, Unai Emery, a manager of a, a consistent Champions League side right now, and all the other, a lot of the other names on this kind of wish list, Paulo Fonseca has managed in the Champions League several years. Lucien Favre has managed in the Champions League several years. Rafa Benitez, we don't need to talk about his pedigree. A lot of people who have been there and done that, and I think people need to understand that you know the, the next great project being at square one might not be the most attractive proposition to a lot of people exactly exactly so i mean you, you talked about a lot of the kind of favorites for the current vacancy right now and i'll just kind of go through those we've got eddie howe who has now become the bookies favorite at four to six on um paulo fonseca at five to one robbie martinez um which is very interesting at six to one um, Rafa Benitez, 12 to 1, Lucien Favre at 14 to 1, and then Ted Lasso slash Zach Pensack at an outside bet of 200 to 1. Um, I'm hoping for, for Ted Lasso, um, but probably what's going to happen is Eddie Howe. How would you feel about that, pun intended, if Eddie Howe were to come in as a manager that has, you know, overcome relegation battles in the past, but also has a blemish on his copybook in terms of most recently having Bournemouth get relegated. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, first of all, I think that anybody who says we need somebody who is used to a relegation fight is completely out of their mind. We, we most certainly do not need somebody who knows how to survive a relegation fight. We simply need a good manager. I think it's a, a complete misconception that there are certain skills and abilities that come with avoiding relegation that other managers at the top of the table would not have. Uh, when it comes mm -hmm. to Eddie Howe, I think it's a matter of we we need somebody right now. It's obviously not working. Graham Jones, as you said, has openly admitted that there needs to be a new face in the dugout. And I think Eddie Howe would be a very realistic and a, a very effective manager. Not only has he managed three of the, the players who often find themselves in the Newcastle starting lineup before and Callum Wilson, Matt Ritchie, and Ryan Frazier, but he's a manager who knows the league. I'm not saying knows relegation, but knows English football and has been kind of itching to get back involved in the past couple of seasons since being dismissed from Bournemouth. So do I think it's 
a step down from a potential hiring of Unai Emery? Absolutely. But I think as you kind of alluded to earlier, you know, we are sinking deeper and deeper into this and need somebody yesterday, not need the perfect manager two months from now. Yep, exactly. I think you made some good points there. A couple of um, things that you said that, that stood out for me. First of all, if it was Eddie Howe, remember how Ryan Fraser exited Bournemouth and how that all went down. I don't think mm. that he'd be starting for Newcastle with Eddie Howe in I, I don't charge. Think it- I- I don't think he should. I don't think he should be, regardless of who the manager is. I, I have no idea either. why. Yeah, he has been the last two games. That's my point, right? So Graham Jones yeah. has started him, and and not many Newcastle fans are happy about that. So I think if that were to happen, I don't think we see Fraser all the time. He may, may potentially be able to get the best out of Callum Wilson, um, and Richie obviously is just an aging player at this point. It is what it is. My other thought is that I think this, this is my personal opinion. Eddie Howe got Bournemouth relegated with a better squad on paper than Newcastle has right now. Um, I think overall that was a better team than than what we have for for the offering right now, and that concerns me. Um, you know, Callum Wilson has to stay fit. That's really important, and I think somebody has to come in and really get the best out of ASM. He's been playing okay, um, but he's being asked to do things that I don't think he should be as a number 10 right now, um, and I really want to kind of let the let the chains off, so to speak, and, and allow him to kind of like do what he does so so well. Well, I think that's like you you could say that Eddie Howe being the the most realistic proposition right now, with the concerns that you and and I both have over him, is somewhat of an indictment of the the planning that this this new ownership group has put forth. Like you look at that list of potential managers who are getting linked with the job, and there was a massive 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 gulf in experience and uh, success between eddie howe and the rest of the group it's essentially how as the kind of somewhat and i don't mean this in any sort of demeaning way that the traditional english manager and then you have multiple guys that have managed multiple seasons in the champions league roberto mm-hmm. martinez that is currently the manager of belgium one of the best teams in the entire world so if if the concern is that, okay, Eddie Howe might not be the right fit, that, that's not a concern you can have right now because you have only you have Eddie Howe and then only other people who most likely would not want to take the job at the moment. I, I know yep. that a lot of reports have come out that Paulo Fonseca is, you know, quote, really, really interested by this job. But we heard that for the last 48 hours about Unai Emery, and then he immediately pulled the plug. So the, the faith that I currently have in you know, the PIF to get the perfect man is pretty low. And I agree with you. I think there are a lot of question marks regarding Eddie Howe, but any it's a horrible situation to be in, but it seems like anything is better than what we have at the moment. Yeah, so just a different kind of mindset, a different strategy, tactics. I think anything is going to be an improvement on what we're seeing from Graham Jones and formerly Steve Steve Bruce before that. The other interesting name that's been thrown into the mix recently is John Terry. Did you see that one recently? I did see that. Get get that away from me. Get that as far away from me as you possibly can. <laughs> All right. Well, we won't talk too much about that then. But personally, I mean, you look at how Fonseca, Martinez, Benitez, and Favre, like how would you rank them one through five? Like who would you who would you most want to least want of those five managers? Most want to least want. I would say Fonseca would be my number one. I mean, Benitez, let's take him out of this discussion. Benitez is not going to leave Everton 
agencies. And that's a, I think that's a pretty ridiculous notion. Um, so I'll go with Fonseca, Favre, uh, Martinez, Howe. If, if you had my, like, if I could make the list myself, but I think that funnily enough, I think that the likelihood is almost exactly the opposite. I think it'll be Howe. If it's not Howe, it'll probably be Favre. If it's not Favre, it'll probably be Fonseca. And then if it's not Fonseca, it'll probably be Rob Roberto Martinez. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I just, it, it just needs to be done. It just, they need to figure it out right now. That's it. Totally. And I, I, my, my order was exactly the same as that. Just, just FYI. So I, I totally agree with you. Fonseca is the most lucrative of the remaining options. Emery probably would have been up there as well um, as an option as well for me. Uh, been pretty high on that list. Great manager, very successful, plays a great defensive game as well. So sad, but alas, that is not not going to be happening. Anyway, I digress. On to another Newcastle topic here. Let's talk about realistic targets in the next two transfer windows, Zach. First off, sure. where do you where do you think are the three main positions that we would need to strengthen right now? I say uh, defense, three. It's, it's more than three. and defense. It's all defense. Uh, I think that yeah, like ultimately we can improve it virtually every single position on the field. I don't think that there's one player out there that's undroppable at the moment, but you know, Newcastle has the worst defense in the Premier League. Uh, I guess, uh, besides Norwich, which is not saying a lot. So, I think center defense is what Newcastle needs to strengthen the most. I, I still do think that there are players who play on the on the fullbacks, uh, fullback positions that are you know skilled players and, and can be improved by a competent manager. I will argue that Jamal Lewis has not been given a fair shot at this club and and does have you know the potential to become a, a pliable uh, left back in the Premier League. So it's, it's center defense for me above everything else. Yeah, uh, I think the three positions I identified were defense number one, a creative midfielder was number two and then attacking reinforcements was number three right you talked about who's undroppable in that team callum wilson is like a fit callum wilson starts every single game i don't think there's sure. any other position on the team that you could say you could guarantee that maybe goalkeeper when dubravka is fully fit um but that's about it yeah i i yeah i, I guess i i suppose that i meant when i said undroppable i meant that you, if you have you know, competition for every place. There's not one player that I'm currently looking at in our starting 11 that, you know, can outdo any competition, realistic, realistic competition that comes in to, to try to get a spot. But I agree with you. Like at the moment with the depth that we have, Callum Wilson, yeah, cannot get injured, cannot, cannot be dropped from the team sheet without a doubt. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. So then with that in mind, who are some realistic targets for us to sign? So let's, let's use those kind of three positions we'll start with defense creative midfield and in attack who are like maybe three signings that you think would be beneficial for newcastle to consider that are realistic signings not the uh you know rafael varans of the world perhaps certainly so so i actually the the names that i kind of thought of were I, again I'm, I'm really really focusing in on center defense predominantly um so the three names that i wrote down all center defenders uh, are james Tarkowski. Burnley, mm -hmm. Eric Bailly from Manchester United, and Nathaniel Phillips from Liverpool. Uh, 
and hmm. the reason, I, I guess, kind of different rationales for for all three of them, although Bailly and Phillips somewhat similar. Tarkovsky, I just think, is a very, very solid center back. Tarkovsky is, in a lot of ways, the the Eddie Howe of Premier League players, a player who knows the job that he needs to do and knows how to kind of, for lack of any better words, get stuck in and put out a, a tolerable performance, which we have not seen by our center backs this entire season. Um, with Bailly and with Phillips, it's more a case of uh, extraneous players, right? Like surplus to to. Uh, requirements at the moment at their respective clubs. I'd say uh, at Manchester United, there are at least three center defenders in front of Bailly in the team sheet. I know he played in a cup game recently and impressed, but uh, you you look at Manchester United and every, everybody fully fit. It's Varane and it's Maguire every single game, day after day. And at Liverpool, mm-hmm. with the, the purchase of Konate in the summer and the uh, return to health, for both Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dijk. Nathaniel Phillips is well deep in that team sheet. And I think whether it's a loan signing or a permanent signing, that's another player that is realistic in my mind to bring in and hopefully be able to improve on the horrible defense that we've seen so far. Yeah, I like that Phillips shout. That's a, that's a fairly achievable one, I think, to your point, even on a loan. I think Liverpool might be willing to do business there. I uh, I went with the two obvious ones that have been touted in the press. One of them was Tarkovsky. Although another one that really impressed me being linked with, I thought would be a wonderful signing, was Connor Cody, captain of Wolves, mm. um, a player that I think could come in and be an immediate upgrade on Jamal LaSalle's, both from a central defensive standpoint and a captain standpoint. Um, sure. This is a guy that's got England caps under his belt. Jamal LaSalle's does not. Uh, and I think it'd be a huge upgrade for us in the center of defense. The other one I went for, um, a little bit more of a shot in the dark, because I don't think that he would ever leave this club, but was Lewis Dunk. You know, I've sung his praises on the pod before for Brighton. Um, I think he's a fantastic defender. And looking him up tonight, just before, as I was looking at that, I'm like, who did he play for before Brighton? The answer is nobody. He's played his entire career. He's 29 oh, years wow. old at Brighton in various different leagues. So he's Brighton through and through. He's the club captain. And I think we're looking at that kind of caliber of player. Like we're looking at kind of, you know, a a player that's played for their team for a long time that might be looking for a new challenge that wants to kind of like grow with uh, a club on the up like Newcastle um, that maybe has, you know, leadership qualities that could come in and marshal and own a, a defense. And I think that all three of those, Tarkovsky, Cody, and Lewis Dunk could could certainly do a job for Newcastle. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's, you're right. It, it's focusing on players that can come in and do not need time to adapt, uh, do not need time to kind of figure out what their role is, just get, you know, placed in that team and immediately be able to make an impact. And more than likely that would be domestic signings just because of you know, the flow of the Premier League and whatnot. So I, I think all of those players would, would be perfect signings in, in January. All right. So then just real quickly, just to wrap up on Newcastle, any creative midfielders or attackers that would immediately catch your eye as viable or feasible signings we could make that could could make an immediate impact? Um, I mean, that's that's a tough one. Creative midfielders and strikers are probably the hardest positions to improve that in uh, in January of all all times. I mean, I, I think players that have have gone you know, gone foreign since their time in the Premier League. Again, I, I think emphasizing players that at least have some Premier League pedigree, 
you'll love that I say this. Mitsu Batuai would be a player that is playing right now in Turkey, and you'd have to think would would love a a return to the Premier League if if the price is right. But I I just think any sort of depth for uh, especially at the striker position, I I do think that um, creative midfield. You know, Miggy Almiron is being frozen out of the team right now and can still kind of play that role. We've seen flashes of of brilliance from him in the number 10 position. You're you're shaking your head, but it's just he's not given that he it's the same as you know, it's the same as Jamal Lewis. It's the same as players that are being played completely out of position. Like, how do you succeed if you're Mitchy or if Mitchy, if you're Miggy? If if you're not being played, or when you are being played, you're being you know isolated on the wing. I don't I don't really see how we can rate him at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I just I don't think he's that that quality. I think he's he, Miggy's a trier. Um, he puts in every effort in every game, but he pl- misplaces passes all the time. I just I don't think he's the creative midfielder that we would need. Um, I think that he certainly has more to offer for Newcastle, but. You want somebody to come in and create like Shelby has in at his peak. Um, players like James Ward-Prowse have been linked. That that's an immediate upgrade on anything we have in that team from a creative midfielder standpoint. Yeah, that would be a Ru- remarkable signing. Yeah, Ruben Neves for for Wolves, twenty-four, great potential signing. That if we could if we could kind of stump up some cash for him, I think he would be an immediate upgrade as well. And then up front, Lacazette has been linked recently. Why not go back to the well for Ivan Tony? He'd love to come back to the tune. I bet he would like to come into to Newcastle and kind of has a point to prove there. And another one I thought of was Divock Origi, rotting at Liverpool. I like that one. I like that one um, a lot. Has scored Champions League goals for them, has always done the job when he's been called upon, but he never gets the opportunity and he's just sitting there on the bench for them. So I think that would be a, a potentially really good signing for, for Newcastle and somebody would come with a point to prove. That's what we want, right? We want players with a bit between their teeth with points to prove. So these would be good good signings, I think. Yeah, I love that. I love that, Chad. I think that Rigi is probably the most, both the most realistic and, uh, yeah, like uh, the potentially most impactful signing uh, of that group. Uh, because you're right, like there's no, I have no faith that, I have a lot of faith in Kyle and Wilson's quality, but I have no faith in his health record and his injury record. Mm-hmm. That's a, a man that's injured all of the time. And that might not be his fault necessarily, but it is the reality that Newcastle lives in. So backups and, and depth at the striker position is of the utmost importance. Callum Wilson, whose legal middle names are soft tissue injury. That's true. Yep. It's, yep, it's yep. Irish. I, I think his family is from Ireland. So that's that, <laughs> That lines up quite nicely. Thanks. Well, on to our second topic for talking points. We spent quite a bit of time on Newcastle, so we'll go a little bit quicker here, Zach. Um, Tottenham's managerial merry-go-round continues. So Nuno Espirito Santo, God rest his soul, lasted 10 games at Spurs in the Premier League. Five wins, no draws, five losses, um, nine goals, four in 10 games, and 16 goals against in 10 games. Um, so averaging a point and a half per game and a 50% win rate in the Premier League. Some might say quite surprising that Spurs pulled the trigger on a 50% win rate at this stage in the season, but there were signs there that there was some reasons to be concerned, wouldn't you say? Yes. I mean, I I would agree that there are reasons to be concerned, but 
Adam, humor me here. Let me read you the the fixture list that Spurs had in their first 10 games this season. All right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Spurs started out with a, a shocking 1-0 victory uh, against Manchester City on the opening weekend. We'll all remember that. Uh, from there, they went, I'm just going to list their opponents in the following nine matches. We had Wolves, Watford, Crystal Palace, Chelsea, Arsenal, Aston Villa, Newcastle, West Ham, Manchester United, and then there are some cup games, you know, Europa and cup games thrown in there. But but of those teams that I've listed, we ha- we have Manchester United, West Ham, Arsenal, Chelsea, Wolves, and Manchester City, and Manchester City. So we're we're looking at a quite tough run of fixtures to begin the season. And within that tough run of fixtures, a win against Manchester City. So to to kind of like jump in this, do I think that it was, you know, the right time to fire Nuno Espirito Santo? Absolutely not. I think that, mm-hmm. you know, Spurs without a doubt aren't playing well. Harry Kane is completely lost on this squad at the moment. The defense is not impressive by any means. But giving the man giving any manager 10 matches at a new club is a little bit ridiculous and especially when you look at the opponents that uh spurs had within those 10 matches i i just think it's such a brutal beat for espirito santo to get fired after that amount and i i or after that amount of matches and i think it it just completely reconfirms to me that daniel levy is is running the show and has absolutely no idea what he's doing and is trying to cover for his own tracks here i'd say the only mistake that was made or the 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 only really damning part of nuno spirito santo's time at tottenham Hotspur is that he should never have been hired as their manager versus the style of play that they were looking for and i just think he was set up to fail in that club and i i daniel levy is a horrendous horrendous owner and chairman for a club and is absolutely sinking spurs into the ground is he better or worse than Mike Ashley? I mean, he's better than Mike Ashley. Like they got to a Champions League final, but in terms of like what he has done with the opportunity that he has had, like there, there's some competition there because Tottenham Hotspur gets to a Champions League final, completely punches above their weight, and he follows that by firing their manager and sinking down and down in the domestic table uh, ever since then. So I, I just I don't understand. It. I don't understand how that man's ego is dictating the entire fate of this club. Uh, but that being said, that being said, Antonio Conte is a great hiring. So, uh, yeah, horrible fire, horrible fire by Nuno. I think he was set up to fail. Incredible hiring of getting Conte. Yep, I and mean, then Conte is somebody that they wanted earlier on in the summer, right? It begs the question: Do you think that Conte was lined up, and they've been having conversations? in the weeks preceding the dismissal of Nuno. So they that's the reason they actually made the change when they did, because they knew that Conte could come in immediately. And obviously there had been rumors about potentially him going to Manchester United if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was to be fired as well. Do you think they acted quickly for those reasons? Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting theory uh, that they kind of pulled the trigger on their own manager because they they knew that an upgrade was possible. So again, like feel really bad for 
for Nuno. Uh, I, I think that he was never going to last at that club unless he, you know, hit absolute success time after time. But I do think, like, if if you if you felt as though Conte is a dramatic upgrade, which he very well could be, then it was a good time to strike. I just, I, I personally don't, like Spurs don't have the quality in that team to break the top four, regardless of who the manager is. I would stand behind that statement. Like, I don't think any manager pretty much in the world right now would be able to lead this Tottenham Hotspur team to a Champions League finish. So I think that Nuno should have been given a fair shot at this job. But yes, I suppose Conte is a better and more successful manager going forward. Yep. Yeah, some good points there for sure. Conte is a is a great coup for Spurs. You know, think about some of the managers they've had, Jose Mourinho, Antonio Conte, Mauricio Pochettino. Like they've had some world-class managers at that club. Um, and none of them have really been able to crack it, right? I wonder what the issue is. I wonder what <laughs> maintains <laughs> its presence at Tottenham Hotspur that isn't the manager. Um yeah, I mean, again, like, I, I think it's a good signing, but I don't think it's going to make any difference. I think Tottenham Hotspur is not going to come remotely close to a Champions League place this season. Yep. So um, really transitioning us nicely from Spurs into Manchester United, we were just talking about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer um, and Conte potentially replacing him at Manchester United. You have to remember that the reason that they moved on firing Nuno was because Spurs had a home 3-0 loss to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Manchester United last weekend. Um, so Ole is you know, really clinging to his job at the moment, but he's been under immense pressure, especially after that home 5-0 drubbing at the hands of Liverpool. Quite the game that was. So I ask you this. Is it the right time to let Ole Gunnar Solskjaer go? And would he already be gone if it were not for one Cristiano Ronaldo's contributions in recent weeks so to answer that in order 12 to 18 months ago would have been the right time to let oligona Solskjaer go oligona Solskjaer has no place managing manchester united at this period of time or any time in you know the last year or so uh the the p there are two people that are keeping ole in a job and they both are are two. I, let's describe them as the the duo of 2008 Manchester United. It's Cristiano Ronaldo and it's Sir Alex Ferguson. And those two people are the only reason that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has a job at the moment. Uh, what I mean by that is Ronaldo producing at you know in the Champions League specifically against Atalanta time after time, and Sir Alex Ferguson, from what I have read, has backed Ole quite heavily uh, to the board of which Alex Ferguson is uh, a member and to the rest of the Manchester United higher ups. But I think wrongly so. I think that Ole is not qualified for this job. He's not the right man to lead Manchester United forward. And every single match that he continues to be the manager is going to put them deeper and deeper in the predicament that they're already in. Whether they win the match, it'll make him look like a viable manager and they won't want to let him go. And if they lose the match, they've lost another match. So I think Manchester United is pretty much a train wreck right now. Uh, and uh, there's a hot take, but Sir Alex Ferguson is not the man who should be making any sort of decisions for Manchester United. Yep, absolutely right. I think you made some fantastic points there. And to me, 17 points from 30 for a team like Manchester United 
is simply not good enough. You know, 13 points, you know, that they've that they've given up so far this season puts them eight points off the pace of Chelsea, five off the pace of Liverpool, and three off the pace of Manchester City, who are markedly underperforming, I think, as well since the season has begun. So I, I agree with you. I think now is certainly the time to do it. Potentially earlier would have been the right time to do it as well. Um, it'd be interesting to see who they would bring in, potentially, if Manchester United were to let him go. It would be quite interesting as to who they might be able to attract to that role. Um, an incredible squad they have, right? Definitely different caliber squad to what Newcastle has right now. Um, and the last point I wanted to make on Manchester United was Harry Maguire's form. It's been he's been ridiculed in the press for his form of late. What do you attribute the downtick in form to, Zach? That's a that's a tough one. I mean, like it's one of those things that's completely speculative because we don't have access to any sort of information regarding the training sessions. But I wonder if like. Ole just does not really know how to create a create and, and maintain a you know a a really really rigid and effective back line. I mean, not just due to the fact that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer himself was a a striker, so in his playing days, you know, did not probably have a terribly in depth knowledge of what it takes to to have a, a really compact back four, but you know, it, we've seen the majority of the issues or the majority of the criticism at Manchester United during his time come at the, the defensive line. Even last year when Manchester United had, I believe it was the sex, second best defense in the Premier League, questions were asked of Lindelof, questions were asked of Bailly, questions were asked of uh, Luke Shaw and Juan Basaka. And it, it almost seems like Anytime they get something right, one more thing goes wrong at Manchester United, especially from the defensive perspective. So uh, I think for Harry Maguire specifically, you know, everybody goes through poor runs of form. Uh, but right now is it is just a little bit more glaring considering all the attention that's being put on the Red Devils. Yep, I agree that Solskjaer isn't the manager that can get the best out of Harry Maguire. And I'd add... That I don't know if you remember thinking back to the Euros here, Harry Maguire missed the, the first few games of the Euros. He was very much rushed back to come back yeah, into that back line point. Um, in place point. of, um, I'm blanking on his name now, Aston Villa center back that started, Tyrone Mings. Started Tyrone the first, Mings, yeah. Yeah, started the first few games in the Euros, right? And, and did pretty well, I thought. Um, they rushed Maguire back, Maguire came back in. England had a great defensive record, so certainly no poor form there. But was he being carried by some of the other players in that team? And now um, now that he isn't fully fit and still hasn't had a chance to be brought back to full fitness, they're trying to do so while integrating him into the team because he is the club captain. Um, and I just think that he hasn't been the same player since that injury right, right before the Euros at the end of last season. Yeah, that's a great shout. Uh, yeah, again, another thing that we don't really have access to, uh, knowing um, you know the the condition in the in the in the trainer's room for for Harry Maguire, and again, like another person that there's a lot of pressure being put on his shoulders. The the record center back signing for eighty million uh, pounds. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's 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 a really interesting situation at Manchester United right now, and. Uh, again, I, I think that until they get a new manager, um, like 
kind of similar to Spurs, uh, you know, they're not really going to go, or in a way, the opposite of Spurs, they, they're not really going to go anywhere, um, although they have the quality on the pitch to potentially do so. Yep, agree. All right, well, some some great talking points there. That was fun chatting about managers new and old. Um, before we go into our commercial break, I am going to give you the first clue for our EPL trivia question this week. Uh, again, as a reminder, listeners, we asked who is the only team in the English leagues whose name starts with five consecutive consonants? Your first clue, Zach, is that this team has never won a domestic or European top tier league or tournament. Okay. All right. So it makes me think that they are quite considerably lower league side hmm. or just no, not, nothing pot and yeah no, address a not as successful team historically it could be a premier league or lower half premier league or championship team that you know have been there before okay i have a question for you adam yes sir Name me the five vowels, or tell me what is considered a co- like. Is Y a vowel or a consonant in this situation? Is this a, is this a trick question? <laughs> the five no. vowels are a a e i o u, and none of those are in the first five letters of this team's name. So we're again, we're not counting Y as a vowel. Correct. Okay. In that case, I know the answer to your question. So I, I'm <laughs> glad that I checked in there. <laughs> All right. No clues for our listeners in case they're playing along. Though Zach, we'll, we'll let you give the answer to the pot here. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yes, we will be back in just a moment. We are back with the latter half of episode 77 of the False Sense podcast on Coming Home Newcastle, sponsored and presented by. As the nation, Adam, armchair pundits today. We've been we've been getting passionate about our opinions uh, when it comes to managers. So I'd like to hear a passioned a passionate opinion that you have about anything in football. What is your punditry uh, they can give me on this beautiful evening endeavor? I'm sticking with managers, and you're going to hate it because I'm going to contradict something opinion that you just gave a few minutes ago. Spurs will finish in the top four this season under Antonio Conte. No, no, false. <laughs> if I continue, <laughs> when you said it, it was great. It was like this is perfect. What a setup! Yeah, that is a perfect. That is uh, a perfect setup. <laughs> yep. he he's a top class manager, and he will get them far more organized than they are today. Um, he'll get Harry Kane scoring goals again. He'll be the man that finally gets the best out of Tange and Dombele. And I do think that they have a talented squad already and that he will maximize the potential in it. I also think he'll be heavily backed in the January transfer window. Um, they'll bring in some players in there. And Spurs have a pretty favorable fixture list between now and January as well. So I do think that you know that, that there's plenty of room and upside and opportunity there. They are still competing in Europe as well. Um, so obviously he's got some opportunities there to blood some youngsters. A player... Actually, now that we mention it, that I would love to see at Newcastle that's at Spurs and not getting a game is Joe Rodon in the center of defense. I think that's a player mm-hmm. that he should be building, a generational player that he should be building a team around. He's future captain for Wales for me. Um, 
massively talented player. You you giggle because you think I'm biased and it's a Wal- it's a Walsh player, and I told yeah. I told and I totally I, yep. get it. But he is the single best defender that I've ever seen play for Wales. Okay, all right. He's the single best defender that has ever played any sport, whether it be football or basketball. There's if no he better up a basketball defender. today. <laughs> He would walk into the Denver Nuggets starting lineup and he would start Dennis draining Rodman draining threes. Is, Dennis Rodman is nothing compared to Joe Rona on the NA 2 3 zone on the early 90s Chicago Bulls. That's right. And he's got better hair. Yeah. All right. Well, I can agree with that latter part. Um, damn. I. But like, I know you disagree with it, but I, I mean, I feel West like I've made some good, good points. West Ham are, West Ham are the. The, the team we all want to watch succeed. West Ham are the team of the people right now. I'm not denying that, but I don't think this, they have the same depth as Spurs do. So we'll see. That's that's a tough one. That's that's a tough one to hear. All right. Well, I mean, that's a very valid opinion. I, I yeah, we'll say. I mean, it, it largely, like in a weird way, kind of similar to Newcastle. It Their fate largely revolves around the form of one striker because Spurs mm-hmm. are another team that entirely rely from the goal production of Harry Kane, just as Newcastle does from Callum Wilson. So if, if Kane can get it together, then they will quickly climb up the table. And if not, I don't see them finishing even in a European place. Oof, tough. All right, well, what, what do you got for me today on I'm sure Pundit, Zach? Um, all right, so my punditry, Adam, uh, maybe this isn't that hot of a take, but I don't think that Chelsea will go below first place in the table for one moment until the end of the season. So you think Chelsea wins the league and never falls out of first place? Correct. Yes, I, I do indeed. Uh, and the the kind of simple logic for this one is Chelsea is a team that currently is racked with injuries, especially um, at the attacking side of their lineup. Christian Pulisic, uh, Romelu Lukaku, and Timo Werner have missed multiple games in a row now. Obviously, Werner, or excuse me, Lukaku, the most expensive transfer uh, of the summer, not just for Chelsea, but for any team in the Premier League. And yet Chelsea not only stays at the top of the table, but has 26 goals to their name, only second behind second place Liverpool. And more importantly, only three goals allowed in 10 matches for Chelsea. A remarkable, remarkable defensive presence. That's allowing a goal in less than one out of every three matches, obviously giving them the best goal difference in the Premier League at plus 23. I think that Thomas Tuchel, if we're talking about managerial appointments, will probably have a, you know, is on track to to go down as one of the most successful and most inspired managerial appointments in Premier League history, not only Mm -hmm. leading Chelsea to a Champions League, but what I believe will be leading Chelsea to uh, a Premier League title this season. They have depth. They have players that have continuously improved uh, one that I would spotlight there, Reese James, uh, a, a kind of week in, week out uh, side back just a couple, just I, I'd say a season ago, is now one of the first names on that team sheet. Scored two wonderful goals against Newcastle United. Seems like he is destined for a continuous spot in both the Chelsea and the England lineup. And I really don't see anybody displacing uh, the 
the Chelsea side from the top of the table until the season end. Some great points in there. I think, you know, Reece, for me, Reese James and um, Ben Chilwell are basically the Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson of two years ago, right? Just the yeah. goals they're contributing, yeah. the crosses they're putting in. It's it's really fun to watch right now. And I 100% agree on the Tuchel appointment being inspired, right? Uh, Gus at the time, friend of the pod, um, he the pod. was not, not super enthused by that signing, I think we could say. Um, obviously... Lampard was a club legend and didn't necessarily agree with that. I think if you ask him now, his tune might well have changed. Um, I don't know that I agree that they'll cakewalk it to the to the title. They'll certainly be in and around there. I think Liverpool are going to be the team that really is going to be competing with them this season. Won't be Manchester City. Uh, Liverpool have been very impressive, especially in Europe, in a really tough group, have basically won their first four games and have guaranteed themselves first place in that group with two games to go. Um, so really, really impressive form from Liverpool are the only undefeated team in the league currently. Chelsea have yeah. lost a game. Um, granted, Liverpool have some quite a few more draws that have blotted their copybooks, so to speak. But yeah, you know, I think it's a fairly decent shout that Chelsea will be there or thereabouts come the end of the season. Yeah. It's 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 Mohamed Salah against Chelsea for the title this year. The, the best ex, the best ex Chelsea Mohamed Salah. Exactly. Ex, please, ex Basel Mohamed Salah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, I I think that's a really good point. I I agree with you. It'll be it'll turn out to be a bit of a two horse race between uh, those two clubs, without a doubt. All right. Well, that's great. I like that one. Um, good good shout on that. So on to our 10 and 90 section, Zach, would you like to go first or second this week? I will go second this week. All right. Well, then I've got some beautiful hypotheticals for you in that case, Zach. Um, I know you like these ones and you enjoy these ones. So uh, some fun ones in here and some just ones where I want to get your opinion. So we'll start off with which club do you think Steve Bruce will manage next? Uh, trick question. I think Steve Bruce is done managing football clubs. I think he. I, kind, I kind of asked it um, with that in mind. I was wondering if you thought that might be the case, given he's on an even one thousand games as a as a manager. Do you think that he takes his pay packet that he got um, after being let go by the new ownership, and he kind of rides off into the sunset, or do you think there's one job that might be able to entice him back? No, I I think he's done. I think I think this was. I think this was a pretty devastating emotional and mental job for him. And I, I think that Steve Bruce is, is probably done with his managerial career. That's fair. All right. Question two. Um, who is the best footballer in the world that you have heard of, but that most of our listeners would not have? Ooh. Oh, man. That's a that's a fun one adam <laughs> the best footballer in the world that i've heard of ooh, let me think of our demographics so i know that most of our listeners yeah. hail from the great island of england so who would they not have heard of that is and it can, and it can be past or present so if it could be it could be a historical player or it could be a player right now that maybe you know of. oh interesting oh that's an interesting twist on it um Hmm. Goodness, that's a really interesting question. Um, I 
go with uh, okay. So if I'm going to assume that if I'm going to assume that most of our listeners are English and therefore fans of the English national team uh, and perhaps not necessarily followers of the United States national team, I'm going to go with Ricardo Pepe as the best player in the world that the majority of our listeners probably have never heard of. 18-year-old starlet from FC Dallas has scored in two of the last three matches for the U.S. national team, pretty much single-handedly keeping uh, our squad in the running for a World Cup place. I think that Pepe is going to be playing in Europe next season. He is a tall, bruising, physical, uh, classic center forward with a great head on the ball and just extremely impressive footballing instincts for somebody at the young age of 18. So Ricardo Pepe is the person that I will uh, put in my selection for that really, really great question. All right. So Ricardo Pepe listeners, you heard it here first. All right. Fun one for you. Which which current Premier League player would be most likely to win in a Joey Chestnut style hot dog eating contest? Premier League player, you say. Premier League player. Hmm. I think Harry Maguire. I think I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with a an easy <laughs> answer here. I think Harry Maguire can wolf. Yeah, I think he can wolf down some hot dogs without that <laughs> All right, Harry Maguire, it is. Uh, question number four: Which three players in Newcastle squad do you hope never make another first team appearance for the tune again? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love that. Uh, Jojo Shelby has to be the answer you do. I was going to start out with there. <laughs> I did. I did. I hate that guy. Um, Jojo Shelby. I'd be cool if Ryan, I have nothing against him, but Ryan Frazier has never, except for his literally his first game at Newcastle against West Ham. Uh, Ryan Frazier has not offered anything for Newcastle. So I'll go with John Joe. I'll go with Ryan Frazier and hmm. Hope that I ne- he never ever makes another appearance. Another player that I have nothing against personally, but Emil Kraft. Emil Kraft has oh. no no place in the Premier League side. Oh, he he would be one. the third one there. I yeah I I agree. I don't have any issue with him, but like looking at the first team regulars, he is not a very good footballer in terms he's, of like he's not. League. He's not. But you didn't say Jeff Hendrick, and that would have been my. Oh first no. Yes, that is true. Okay, I'll replace Kraft with Hendrick. I, I would absolutely maintain that Shelby and Frazier should not be in that team. Ever, ever <laughs> Fair again. enough. All right. Yeah, so we'll, but you're, we'll, no, we'll, you're totally right. Yeah, I would have definitely gone for Hendrick over Kraft. Um, I at least yes. like Kraft the person, and Hendrick is just an awful human being. He seems like kind of a he seems like kind of a kind of a jerk. He like, seems like a total douchebag. All right. So final question for you, and it's a fun one again. Which current Premier League player? Uh, would be most likely to have Adele's new album releasing on November 19th playing oh, on yeah. repeat. Current Premier League player. Who do I really, look this, at? This is just me, this is me play, plugging Adele's new album on November 19th. Most I'm, I'm excited. Well. I, yeah, I, I, I am excited. I am excited. Um, Easy uh, on me is a, is a tune. Good stuff. God, the, the pipes on that woman. Unbelievable. Uh, hmm. 
who I think is a little bit of a closet softy in the Premier League. Just cycling. Let me look at the table right now and see if there's anybody. <laughs> I love how serious you're taking this question. This is not a joke to me. This isn't a joke <laughs> to me, Adam. I. Hmm. Okay. okay. A lot of good options. Ooh, I think Jack Grealish. I, I see Jack Grealish as being a, a heavy uh, Adele fan. Uh, I could see yeah. him being that guy who who you know puts on his nice Bose headphones in the locker room and is screaming the lyrics and everybody's throwing things at him and he just he's belting it out. I, I think that Grealish is a, a solid choice for that. What about you? I, I want to throw that one back to you because that's a really great question. Um I could see hmm where would i go with that one i think that somebody kind of like more kind of european exotic would like be listening to that just because of the type of music that it would be so i'm gonna go for i'm gonna go for riyad mares rocking out to a little bit of adele Ooh. setting fire to the rain if you will I like that. I like that a lot. I was thinking of who like the least likely player would be, which is another interesting question. Um, and I might go with Jamie Vardy on that one. I think that Jamie Vardy would not listen to. Oh Adele's yeah, album. Jamie Vardy's only listened to like Sex Pistols and Clash and stuff like or, that. Or, or like really, really or, angry or like Offspring. Metal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Exactly. Or just yeah, just like some real, real, just heavy screamer music. Yeah, I don't think Adele is chat shit get banged material myself. It unfortunately for both of them, she is she is not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um to wrap up then, Zach, um pronounce this Walsh word for me. I'll spell it M M W C L I S. M M W. No, M W sorry, just just one M. M W C L I S. M W C L I S. Mittekleisch. It's Mooklis. Mooklis. Ah, oh, man. Did not yep. expect a U sound in there. <laughs> <laughs> All good. Yeah, Mooklis means necklace. Did you buy Emma a new Mooklis while you were in Wales? Um, I did not know. She's she's not very good at wearing the mooklises, to be honest. She kind of like wears them for a few minutes, and the novelty wears off, and she wants to take them off. So I think it's something that she'll probably get a little bit more when she's uh, later on in life. Okay, all right, good to know. Good to know. I was curious where that where that word came from, so I now know where yeah. it did not come from. Uh, okay, <laughs> I enjoy, I I enjoyed that session, Adam, and I'm going to give you also a set of hypotheticals. Although my uh, my theme, my subjects, and my questions are going to remain a little more uniform than yours in this one, but I I think this this will kind of interest you. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to name you a football club throughout world football, and you are going to give me a rapid reaction, a real a real 10 and 90 type uh, instantaneous answer as to what car uh, make and model you think represents that club the best. And then I will ask for a one, a, a one sentence explanation of your, your decision. Okay. All right. Got it. 
Okay, so starting out here, we're going to go five clubs in world football. Adam, you're going to tell me each club and what uh, car making model represents that club and why. Starting out here, Adam, let's go with Leicester City. Leicester City. Um, let's go with a Toyota RAV4. Okay, and why? Dependable, um, reliable, can definitely be seen as a kind of top level car on its day. Um, mm, okay. And yep. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty expensive as well. Okay. I like that. Uh, team number two, Atletico Madrid. Atletico Madrid. Um, let's go with the DeLorean. Um, super interesting and fun um, to look at. Um, oh my God, this is terrible. I have no idea where I'm going with this. <laughs> <laughs> the DeLorean. <laughs> We're going with the DeLorean because it's Spanish and sexy. Um, and that right. makes no sense whatsoever, but I'm going to stick with it. Car number th- or, uh, yeah, car. Team number three, Atalanta. Atalanta. Well, they're Italian. So I am going to go with the Fiat Cinquecento. Very good. The correct answer there. Uh, okay. Uh, cl- club number four, Adam, Galatasaray. Wow. Wow. Um, Turkish Galatasaray. Well, there are certainly no Turkish car makes and models that I can think of, Zach. So I'm going to need to pull one out of okay. my ass here. Um, <laughs> what will we do here? Um when I think about the Turks, I think about, and Galatasaray in particular, I think about violence. I think about like angry fans and supporters. Okay. Like there's been a lot of fan trouble. So I'm trying to think of like a car that an angry person would drive. Maybe you can help me out a little bit here. Like what's a, what's a like car that somebody that would like, would rage would, would drive. Maybe, maybe like a 2008 Dodge Charger. All right. Just I like that. Big, just a big, big hunk of metal that has like horrible acceleration, but a pretty high top speed. And that's, <laughs> that's what some angry person would look for. Funny story. When I lived in San Diego, um, there was a black Dodge Charger and um, it had a big Raiders emblem on the back of it. And the guy that owned it had taken the word Charger off and had basically put in a very similar Raider on the back of it because he was such a huge Raider fan. He couldn't have the word Charger on the back of his car. That's that's pretty funny. That's yep. <laughs> that's good. I mean, respect to the man, I suppose. Uh, okay, and the, 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 the final club I'm looking for here is Ajax. What car represents Ajax? Oh, this is very easy for me. Um, I'm actually going to be purchasing one of these here in the next few weeks. It would be a Kia Seltos because it's new, it's young, it's slick. It's been around for only two years. It's sexy. Uh, it's one of one of the best cars that you could find on the road and would love to watch. And that's what IX are right now. They're that sort of team. Hell yes. I love that. I'm glad I... I'm glad that finally the Ajax Kia analogy has been made on the podcast <laughs> after, after 76 episodes of missing on that. Exactly. That was a really hard 10 and 90, but well done to you, sir. I like that. It was fun. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that that gave you a nice little, nice little thinker. 
Okay, Adam. Well, we are at the the final clue for the EPL trivia. Uh, based on my my questions in our last round, I do know the answer, but let's give one more clue to our listeners here before we wrap it up. Sure. Just a reminder on the question: the only team in all of the English leagues that begin that's name begins with five consecutive consonants. The clue we gave halfway through the pod was: this team's never really won anything, never won any top division trophies from a league or cup standpoint and the final clue i'll give to you this was awesome when i was researching it zach i love this this clue if you hadn't got it already uh, this wouldn't wouldn't have helped you in any way shape or form this is the only team in all four divisions of english football that has a group of nfl style cheerleaders on the sidelines <laughs> mm, this is something i actually did know you did know of me Independent of me already knowing the answer to this question uh, based on extensive research, I, I have heard about this, which is hilarious. Yes. Go, go, um, ahead, go Put our listeners out of their misery. So, so that, that, that club is Crystal Palace. The, the London-based squad does have a group of cheerleaders and is the only uh, team in English football that begins with five consonants. That is absolutely correct, sir. Well done. Yeah, and the uh, the cheerleaders are called they're they're known as the Crystals or the Crystal Girls are the cheerleaders oh for Crystal goodness. Palace. You'll see them That's, performing before oh. the game and at halftime at Selhurst Park. So next time you're tuning in on a Saturday watching them play, see if you can spot the the Crystal Girls there. The Crystal Girls is such a brutally like 1980s Vegas name for a dance crew. <laughs> I, I, when so, I was looking it up, so I was horribly like, I outdated. Cues, clues that try and throw you off. Like I was trying to push you to like think about lower leagues when I said they hadn't won anything, and you started to go that way, and it probably steered you back towards where you should be thinking a little bit. So I regret yeah. that. Yeah. Yes, I I will admit I did kind of cheat. I glanced at the table of the Premier League and and saw the answer. So I'll give myself like a quarter of a point on this one. That that's not okay. a fair victory, but a great that's question cool. nonetheless. Yeah, it was. I thought it was. A, I thought it was a fun one and kind of different from what we normally do. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did indeed. I did indeed. Well, Premier League this weekend. I don't even know who. Oh, we Newcastle plays Brighton. Correct. We're away at Brighton. We're the late game on Saturday. Yep. Oh, late game. You know what that means? I might, I might tune in. Yeah, eleven thirty. Um, just uh, for for li- for listeners, um, the clocks in the UK went back um, over Halloween weekend. So, uh, if you're watching any of the games on Saturday of this week, just know that it's going to be an hour different from the timing that you'd normally see those games. Uh, and then, obviously, our clocks go back. Uh, yeah, it's back. Clocks go back this weekend for us here in the U.S. That is true. That's Sunday morning now. That is correct. So Saturday games will be um, will be the that, different timing, and then we'll be back to the seven hours difference at least here with uh, with Colorado time on Sunday morning. True. True. Wow. Newcastle, yeah. Brighton. Fun fact: same amount of goals scored in eleven and twelve more goals allowed by Newcastle. A little, yep. little kind of a statement on the state of the clubs there. And they are our bogey team. We always lose to Brighton, and it won't change this weekend. Yep. Yes, 3 nothing Brighton. Uh, anyway, I hope you all have a great weekend. Newcastle uh, not wrecking that weekend, hopefully. And yeah, until next time. Footy. Footy. Peace.